If you, uh, if you normally come to our 11 o'clock service, you might think that, that this is a little bit different than what you're used to. Um, you know, Sam and the youth ministry are out of town this week, and so if the pews feel a little bit light, we've learned that when, uh, when high schoolers are out of town, parents aren't really motivated to get up and go to church some days, you know. And, and I know that's not always the case. Some of you are here, but I think a lot of parents get sore throats when their kids leave town. So that's the best we can figure out. And, and so we got to, we thought it was, you know, what's really great is that um, I feel like with, with, with us, I don't know this, everybody, but with us, we're really good at being backwards compatible with worship styles. Like uh, as long as it, you like you, anything that happened before you is okay. But, uh, but like I said, we, we can't pull rap off in here, right? Not forward compatible. Uh, but here we are. We're going to gather around God's holy word. That's what we do. And so I want to invite you to do that this morning. Today we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 15. And last week, remember we saw the disciples were in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and they were, they were paddling against the wind and they had the nose of their little boat pointed at the destination that Jesus had commanded them to go. Do you remember that? And still the, the wind and the wave was against them. And, uh, and Jesus came down from the mountain uh, to the disciples in their distress in the middle of the night, and he was walking on water. We remember we got to see that last week, and we even saw Peter asking Jesus to call him out on the water. Peter walked on the water too until he was distracted by the storm. And um, as we continue uh, in chapter 14, what happened uh, is that the disciples reached the shore in, in Gennesaret, and once again, Jesus, it kind of sounds very familiar to where we were early in 14. He was greeted by a crowd there in Gennesaret. And, and this crowd, uh, they come and they bring all their sick to meet Jesus. And they all come to him and they touch, you're going to remember the story a little bit, they touch the hem of his garment. And everyone who touches it was healed. And we're talking about large crowds. And, and so I say all that to bring us to today's reading. We're going to be in, in Matthew 15. And as we prepare to read our text... Let me summarize the main points first. We kind of sometimes do it backwards, but, but I, want to, I want to talk about what the main points are going to be, and then we'll make them. And, and there's two main points today in our, in our text. The first main point is this. No human tradition should ever get in the way of our obedience to the revealed Word of God. You understand that? No human tradition should ever get in the way of our obedience to the revealed Word of God. And and, and listen, that's always been a struggle of the church. And we, and we have traditions here. And, and what I want to tell you is that not all traditions are bad. It's not that all traditions are bad. Um, we, we, we have church at, at 8.45, we have church at 11, and that's our tradition. And it's not bad. We say the Apostles, Apostles' Creed together at the beginning of worship. And it's a wonderful tradition. We think it's of great value. We celebrate the birth of Jesus in December. But that's a tradition. But nowhere in the Bible does it, does it say are you commanded to celebrate Christ's birth as a holiday or to buy each other gifts. It's simply a tradition. And I'm not telling you it's wrong. What I'm saying is if our traditions end up in conflict with Scripture, then they are wrong. If you value your traditions more than you value the Word of God, then you are in error. Much of the history of, of the Reformation of the church was, was purging church traditions which have been elevated above the Word of God. And so the second point in today's reading is this. It's not what goes into someone that makes them unclean, okay? It's not what you eat, it's not what you consume which defiles you. 
And that was a hard concept for, for a Jewish audience of the day. They, they really believed that, that they could become clean by what they came in t- contact with, by external factors. What, what devile, defiles you, as Jesus says, is what, is what comes out of your mouth that originates in a sinful heart. That's what Jesus is going to address today. So those two things. Um, what I want to do is I want to now turn to our text and read Matthew 15, 1 through 20. If you're able, will you stand as we read the Word of God together this morning? And uh, before we read, let's pause and have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us by your son Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God. And you have chosen to make Jesus known to your people today by your inspired word. And so we gather around your word today, God, knowing that it's fully inspired and, and, and we could learn about you by looking at your son. Would you, would you send your spirit to quicken our hearts that we would understand the word of God well? We pray this in the name of Jesus and all the church said, amen. All right, friends, let's read together 15.1. Uh, then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles his father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. And he called the people to him, and he said to them, hear and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. But then the disciples came to him, do you know that the the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And Jesus answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unclean, uh, unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, let's see if we can work our way through this reading. It's 20 verses. It's kind of long, but uh, I I think you're going to find it very, uh, very, very uh, 
edifying this morning. Let's start with verses 1 and 2. It says this. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why did your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Uh, so let's try to understand what's happening. Uh, Jesus and the disciples are in Gennesaret, just off the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus has become so famous that large crowds are chasing him around, and, and Jesus can't find solitude. Now, now Jesus has had a, a few explosive encounters with the Pharisees from Galilee. If you remember this, he's like, like back in chapter 12, Jesus clashed with the local Pharisees, and it was all about observing the Sabbath. And, and so as we know that that got really explosive, Jesus, he's made no friends in the, in the religious community in uh, Galilee. What I want you to see in our story today is that these Pharisees in our story, these are not the local Pharisees, right? These are the city slicker corporate Pharisees who've come all the way from Jerusalem. They, they've come from Jerusalem. Uh, it, it is, it's about a 90-mile walk to find Jesus. And remember, Jerusalem is the center of religious institution. Why do you think they've come? Do you think that maybe Jesus is a bit much for the local Pharisees to handle? <laughs> like, like, do you think he, healing everyone who's sick in the region and feeding thousands of people with a couple loaves of bread could lead to some sort of loss of religious control and religious upheaval? So uh, they have sent word up to the big dog Pharisees to come, and they've come from Jerusalem to observe Jesus, and if possible, to put Jesus in his place. And their tactic is very interesting if you look at their tactic. And you have to keep in mind, all this has to kind of flow in context. Jesus has just healed the multitudes again. And the question that these Pharisees, these big dogs from Jerusalem want to ask him, it's just ridiculous. Look at verse 2. It says this, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. This is, this is the worst question. It, it isn't even an honest question. It, it's like this. I, uh, I heard one theologian say, it's like a reporter who is standing outside a fire just before a fighter fighter emerges and he's carrying a young child to safety and the reporter approaches this firefighting hero and asks him, is it true that your mother eats pork? I mean, we all would recognize that that is a stupid question. It's just dumb. But so is asking Jesus why his disciples don't wash their hands after Jesus has just healed everyone in sight. An honest question would have been, like, how are you able to heal these people? Or maybe even like, what's the source of all your power? That, at least that would have been an honest question. Instead, these bigwig Pharisees want to know why the disciples don't wash their hands as is the tradition of the elders. And we need to understand something here. There is nothing in the Hebrew scriptures which instruct people to ceremonially wash their hands before they eat. There's nothing in there. Nothing in God's word says that people are to do this. There's some things in Leviticus that talk about priests in the temple washing their hands, but nothing about people who are out living their lives washing their hands before, before they eat. What happened is that, that over time, 
Jewish religious leaders, which, and listen, this is really important, who were seeking to be faithful. These Jewish religious leaders were seeking to be faithful. They, have, they created a bunch of extra rules and a bunch of extra practices. And it's not, that, it's not that the Jews hated the word of God. They didn't. The Jews loved God's word so much that they, that they kind of created a bunch of other laws around it that served as a fence around God's word so that they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't even be allowed close to breaking God's word, right? Or so they thought. They, they created all of these traditions. They had the Mishnah, which was a, a series of traditions. They had the, the Talmud, which is another series. They had lists and lists and laws and rules, all to keep them from breaking the revealed word of God. But, but here's the problem. They eventually conflated the two. They forgot where the word of God ended and where that fence of traditions began. And honestly, they, they, they lost the differenti differentiation between the two. They evaluated their traditions so that they were on the same authoritative plane as the Word of God. And listen, I want to suggest to you that this always happens. That, that if given enough time, religious communities will confuse their traditions with the Word of God. That's why the great cry of the Reformation, do you all remember what it was? It was sola scriptura. Scripture alone is our great standard. And, and that's why out of the Reformation, we, we got this saying where we would talk about ourselves and we would say, we are reformed, but we are, we, we're also always being reformed by the Word of God. It's not that that's done. It's not that we quit looking. We're always looking to, to, be, to be continually being reformed by the Word of God. But if we're not continually being reformed by God's Word, we will eventually confuse our traditions with Scripture. We will believe that if you don't sing this kind of music, you are in opposition to the will of God. If you don't celebrate Christmas on December 25th, you are in opposition to the word of God. We'll get our traditions and the word of God confused. So this is the argument between Jesus and the Pharisees. Why are you not following the traditions? And this is the answer. Verse 3, ready? He answered them, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your traditions? Jesus himself is making the same point of the Reformation. Tradition is not equal to God's commandments. He's accusing the Pharisees of, of keeping traditions that caused them to break the commandments of God. So let's, let's read verses 4 through 6 together and see the context of this. Ready? He said this, For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say... If anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father and mother. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. So I want to explore that conflict and what's happening right there. Um, I think we all know that God's word clearly teaches us to honor our mother and father, that it's one of the, the Ten Commandments. And, and there are a lot of ways to apply that commandment in our lives but I want to suggest to you that in a world without social security, there tends to exist a general understanding that families help take care of each other. And so I want you to imagine an elderly couple, and the husband has fished his entire life, and that, that didn't get rich from fishing, but he was always able to pay the bills, and he was always able to, to raise a couple of kids. And, and now the Lord has blessed that man with old age, and he's well into his 80s. 
and now he can't climb into a boat anymore and he can't throw a net. How are he and his aging wife supposed to provide for themselves? I want to tell you that, that based on how Jesus seems to interpret this commandment, it's hard to deny that the point is, it's the will of God that, that people provide for their aging parents. Okay, that's the way Jesus is interpreting honor your mother and father. A way of honoring them is to take care of them in their old age when they can no longer take care of themselves. It is clear and almost unarguable that that is the point that Jesus is making. Now, now here's the accusation. Jesus is citing a specific Jewish tradition which Jews would use to avoid having to financially support those aging parents. Uh, it, it was it's something I believe that they called Corbin. And, and it was this idea that if they would agree that upon their death, all of the remaining money that they had would be given to, to God, then they were allowed to not be generous with it to their parents. So, so if you were like a really selfish person and you wanted to not spend any of your money on your kids for an inheritance or your parents to take care of them, and you could just, um, you wanted to just live off your own money, you could declare that all your assets had been Corbin. All of them had been designated for God when you die. And therefore, uh, Jewish teaching gave you permission to, to, to not care for your, your sick and aging parents. They would say, listen, we, we can't eat. If you could just give us a little money, and you go, ah, I'd love to, but... You know, we've declared Corbin and all that money is really supposed to go to God. So you're on your own. That was kind of how it, how it was for them. And so, you know, the Pharisees come in. They say, why don't you wash your hands? And, and Jesus says, why do you create traditions which make the word of God void? That's what he says to them. And then he levels an accusation at them. Verses 7 through 9. Let's read that together. He says, you hypocrites. Oh, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of man. You see the confusion again. Jesus says, you're hypocrites, and, and Isaiah said as much. He warned that you would worship in vain. And what does that mean, to worship in vain? It means that their worship has no value. They, they worship in vain and they teach the doctrines of men and if they were the do, as if they were the doctrines of God. And so I just want to show you that over and over again, we get this central theme in this encounter of the fact that tradition can never take the place of God's word. When it does, our worship ends up being in vain. And that is Jesus' first point for us this morning. And what, what I think you notice happens next is that Jesus turns his attention away from this group of highfalutin big city Pharisees, and, and Jesus calls the crowd back over to him. He's like, listen, I got, I got to talk to y'all. Probably those people who had previously been touching the very hem of his robe, and he wants them to understand something very important, and that is this. What is it that, that defiles a man? Is it eating with unwashed hands? Is this what defiles? Look at verses 10 through 11. We'll read it together. And he called the people to him, and he said to them, Hear and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. So I think the first thing we need to understand here is this is not an issue of hygiene, right? Like, like the Pharisees are not the hygiene police. They're not concerned about germs. This is an issue 
of what defiles a man's soul, like what pollutes you and separates you from the Father. And Jesus could, could not be more clear that the source of our pollution before the Father is not external. It's not that you forget to wash your hands and something gets in you and pollutes you. Where does that defilement come from? This is very important. Let's see if we can discover where the defilement comes from. Uh, the, what happens next? The disciples seem confused. Did you pick up on that? And first, they really think it's important that Jesus knows how much he has offended the big city Pharisees. They come to him and they're like, the, the big city Pharisees are very offended. They want you, he wants them to know. And, and, and look what Jesus says. It, it, he, Jesus doesn't seem to care all that much that he's offended these Pharisees. And, and he makes two statements about the Pharisees. First, verse 13, ready? This is the first one. He says this. He answers, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. And uh, as, as I read this, I remember about the sermon we preached about oh, six weeks ago about the wheat and tares, the parable of the wheat and tares. In that parable, the, the master plants the wheat, and as he sleeps, an evil one comes and plants the weeds, and they, li they live side by side until what? Until the great harvest, right? Also known as the great day of judgment, this is what Jesus is referencing. He's saying the Pharisees here are not God's people. And that one day they're going to be rooted up and they're going to be judged. And, and the second thing Jesus says is this. And, and this is important. So listen, I got, I got to tell you, if you've been daydreaming and you're looking for a place to jump back in this sermon, here it is. Listen up, ready? All right. Jesus tells the disciples that when it comes to Pharisees, verse 14, this is what they are. He says, leave them alone. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. The Pharisees are blind guides. Why? Well, first and foremost, they do not have their hearts illuminated, illuminated by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, they cannot see truth. They can't see what is truth, what is not truth. And, and what they're doing, these Pharisees, is, th is they're just feeling their way through the dark, pretending as if they know the way. And, and the, the scary thing is, is these are the people who are leading the people. What do you think the pit symbolizes? That great place of, of weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? So there, there are two people in this story, and, and, and they're both claiming to be guides. Both claiming to be guides. Uh, you, you've got the big city Pharisees, and you have this other man who's been walking on water and healing the sick, and he's proclaiming to be God. And the Pharisees say, because we're trying to figure out the way, we need a guide to show us the way. The Pharisees say, we know the way. It's found in traditions. And what defiles you is failure to keep these traditions. There's all these external things that can make you defiled. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, no, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So live your life in obedience to the word of God. Who are you going to follow? How can you tell if the people who are leading you in this world have eyes to see? How do you know if you have been following a blind guy? That's an important question. Especially if you trust a guide to keep you and your family out of the pit, to guide you through the darkness to a safe place. I mean, that's, 
have you asked that question? Here's the answer. Are the spiritual guides in your life leading you by the word of God? I've had people who have come to our church recently and they visited other churches in the area and they said, listen, we got up there, the guy read, read one scripture and preached a sermon on a different topic and didn't really even reference that scripture. We came back a second week to give him another try and it was just a bunch of people giving testimonies not using the word of God. I mean, listen, I, I'm thankful for those traditions, but it doesn't sound like that's leading by the word of God. If you go to church and someone tells you, I know the way, and they do anything other than point to the revealed word of God, they're blind. Everyone is blind to know the way. No man can see in the dark except by God's word. That's what the psalmist says, doesn't he? He says, your word is a, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word of God is the only way to see the way. We were studying Martin Luther like two weeks ago on Wednesday night. And Luther is at odds with the, with the church at the time for the same reason that Jesus is at odds with these Pharisees, the, t- the church was teaching these traditions that were contrary to the word of God. And they were guiding people by their traditions instead of teaching them by God's word. And, and what, what ends up happening is Jesus, uh, or excuse me, Luther, uh, I don't want to make that mistake too many times. People will be like, listen, we don't trust you. Uh, Luther uh, uh, was in a dangerous position in life because he was speaking out against the traditions of the church. And the emperor at the time summons Luther to go to the Diet of Worms, a, 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 a trial of sorts for Luther um, in which uh, he would be asked to repent for what he had said about the, the teachings of the church. And he was in grave danger, Luther was, because the same things he had said, John Huss had said 100 years earlier, and they had burned John Huss at the stake. And when Luther comes to, to this uh, diet of worms, they basically say to him, you need to repent of all the things you've taught against the traditions of the church. And they give him a day to, to think about whether he's going to do it. And he's got to realize, I'm putting my life on the line if I stand for the word of God here. And he comes back and he, he says something which is translated something like this. He says, if I'm not convinced by testimonies of scripture or by clear rational arguments, for I do not believe in the Pope or by or in councils alone, since it has been established that they have often erred and contradicted each other. This is what he says. I am bound by the Bible text that I have quoted. And as long as my conscience is held captive to the word of God, I cannot, nor do I want to retract anything. May God help me. That, my friends, is a true man who knows where he's going. He's a true guide because he, unlike the Pharisees, his his conscience is held captive by the word of God. To rightly teach this scripture, we need to return to one unanswered question. What is it that defiles a man? Jesus says it's not something external. Rather, our pollution comes from within ourselves. Let's explore this last section, uh, 17 through 20. Read with me. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person 
But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Jesus wants the crowd, he wants the disciples to know that what defiles you is not something external. What defiles you comes from your own heart. It's not that you are pure and and you're pure until something comes in and corrupts you. It's that you were born corrupted. Jesus has absolutely nothing good to say about the human heart, does he? What does Jesus say about the human heart? He says it's the source of it's the source of evil thoughts, it's the source of adultery, of murder, of slander, of theft. The human heart is wicked. Everyone's heart is wicked. Your heart is wicked. Did you know this? Do you know this yet? Why is it important for you to know that your heart is wicked? I'll tell you why. And I got to go back to this issue of how blind people find the way, right? We live in a world that is full of blind people. And one of the main guides that this world will tell you how to trust, they'll tell you that the best, the best guide in a blind world, if you ask a secular person, what they're going to tell you is this. Just trust your heart. Just trust your heart. How many times have you heard this, right? People say, listen, I just be to thine own self be true. Just trust your heart. Follow your instincts. Let your heart be your compass. You just, I mean, it's over and over and over and over and over again. There's a line in Braveheart, which is supposed to be some Presbyterian movie or something, that says, your heart is free. Have the courage to follow it. Like, and I see, I see self-confessed Christians post this stuff on social media all the time. Because they're not smart enough to know that, that what they believe about Jesus being Lord and they're, they're trusting their own heart or in conflict. They can't figure that out. It's romantic. It's optimistic. It's even encouraging to suggest to trust your heart. But the problem is, it's not biblical at all. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things, and it's desperately sick. Who could understand it? You know what we should do? We should make t-shirts. We should make t-shirts that say, Don't trust your heart. Matthew 15, 17 through 20, don't trust your heart. Don't follow your heart. Jonathan Edwards once said, the heart's affections are inconsistent and they're deceitful. Fix your affections upon Christ. For he is the unchanging and trustworthy Savior. Listen, I I just want to ask you a favor as, as, as your pastor. I don't ask you a lot. But would you please stop telling people to trust their hearts? Would you please stop that? And like, when someone tells you to, to trust your heart, would you say like, would you learn to say like, I can't, man, because it asks me to do things that are in contradiction to the word of God. My heart is wicked. It wants things of the flesh. Would you just learn to not trust your heart? The heart is corrupt. Instead, like, learn to, to, to give, if you're going to give advice, tell people to fix their eyes upon Jesus and to find their way in the dark by God's word. The scripture this morning was really about what guides your life. How do you find your way in the dark? And everyone has to choose, really, right? Um, Most people will blindly follow blind leaders. Traditions, you know, politicians, influencers, movements, whose values change like the wind because they don't know the way. But Christ would tell us to follow him on 
a path that he describes as being narrow. With a full knowledge that we bring as his his followers that our heart is not trustworthy. That we are saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. And we discover that by looking to the Word of God alone, and we do it all for the glory of God alone, right? Friends, this has been the Word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your Word, and um, as we, your people, try to find the way, uh, we pray that you would always remind us to fix our eyes upon Christ and by his Word to be led through the darkness. And all Christ's people said, Amen. Thank you.